Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Meta, a podcast about podcasts. My name is Peter Wells, and how's this for an intro that'll get the punters keen to hear more? My next guests make a podcast that 99% of you will have not listened to, and if you do, you'll find it incredibly boring. So why am I having them on Meta? Well, partly it's nepotism. I'm friends with some of them. They're nice guys. One's a bit of a dick, but the rest are pretty nice. Some of the most successful podcasts are niche. They understand what their audience is and they go straight for it and they serve that audience like no one else is doing. That's what this show is about. This is a bunch of Mac admins talking about things that are interesting to Mac admins. So for the majority of people, not that interesting. I was a Mac admin in a previous life and so I was listening to this show quite regularly and it is more than the sum of its parts. It actually does elevate beyond that. I don't think anyone who's not a Mac admin would find it interesting, but it is still the most interesting version of that show you could make. <laughs> How's that for an intro, boys? Thank well, you. thanks. Um, th- I think that's perfect. And yeah, I always go back to Merlin Mann uh, gave a really great talk at South by Southwest, I think in 2009, 2008. It's been forever. But what it, came, what it comes down to is voice times obsession is equal to audience. Mm. And when you can provide voice to a yeah, passion, an avocation, as it were, you can really build an audience and build a thing. And that's what that I put behind my, uh, my, my side of this. But, you know, we work as a team, the whole lot of us. And, you know, we're here to, you know, bring a lot of different voices to the fore on this really complicated topic. And so before we start, can everyone say their own names so that people listening can understand who is talking? Sure. I'm uh, Tom Bridge. I'm a partner at Technolutionary and I'm a producer of the podcast. I'm Marcus Ransom. I'm a technical delivery manager at CompNow in Australia. And I'm Charles Edge. I'm the chief technology officer of a venture capital firm called Bootstrappers. Uh, And I'm James Smith. I'm an engineer at ANZ and I edit the podcast. And also, funnily enough, I edit this podcast. So (laughs) we're getting very meta today. (laughs) We're all the meta right now. Mm -mm -mm. So whose idea was it for the show to begin with? Let's start at the early days, the origin story. I blame Charles. (laughs) We always Um, blame Charles. (laughs) I I also blame the bottle of Jaeger that was involved in that evening, but it was about five years ago this week. He and I were at Macaduck in, gosh, that would have been 2016, uh, which was in London. It's a, it was the first year of that conference. And he and I were both speakers. We were both hanging out in the pub at the hotel and we're talking. He was like, we should do a podcast. I was like, okay, sure. Why not? No, that, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, we found a couple of other folks. Pepine Brienne was in the same room. And he thought that sounded like a good idea. And he was with us for the first couple of years before he went behind the rainbow curtain and couldn't do those things anymore. Which means to work for Apple. Correct. Yes. He got hired by Apple to do uh, consulting engineering for them uh, on their security side. And so, um, you know, Apple has a very strict, no public figures policy. 
uh, unless you, yeah. So although we've um, managed to nab Apple twice on our podcast, so yeah. yes, and, that's, and I'm working on a third time. <laughs> yeah. So I'm hopeful to uh, get Jeremy Butcher from the product marketing side. You know, who's an incredibly knowledgeable person on how you manage Macs, and he's great to talk with about that particular topic. Maybe we need to actually step back a bit and explain to the people who are unlikely to listen to our podcast um, what a Mac admin is. Because it's funny you say that. My parents are like, oh, you've got this podcast. You know, we'd love to listen to it and and, and understand what it is you do. And for starters, explaining to my parents how to listen to a podcast was hard enough. Mm. But then they, they confirmed exactly what you said, where they got about five minutes into it and said, we don't understand what you're talking about. So... Mac admins are people that get large amounts of Macintosh computers to talk to each other and to other computers in a corporate network. So we make them work beautifully. At least that's the plan. We try. try. (laughs) In schools, businesses, um, all sorts of things. And it's a niche niche job. Mm. Yeah, I mean, being an IT professional is niche and boring enough in itself. Being a Mac admin version of that takes you down to a tiny percentage of people worldwide. Yeah, and the nice thing about being able to hone a message to a tiny percent of people is you've got a micro market. And from a marketing standpoint, you've got a number of people who control decent sized budgets at a grassroots level. I, I think most management structures and organizations they'll they'll sign the price you know to buy a tool like Champ or or Workspace One, but I, I find that it's the individual contributors that are making a lot of those decisions, mm. and so that enables us to be able to sell ads to those specific organizations without having to go through some clearinghouse directly. I would imagine as well that from my my history in the roles is that Mac admins generally have a little bit more leeway or a little bit more say um, in in these things as well, these decisions as well, because quite often in the large organization, you get the the 99% of people who just don't really understand what the Macs do or the Apple, you know, the Apple stuff, you figure that out because we don't want to deal with it. We've got our proper tools over here for, for the rest of the fleet. Right. I, I like to phrase it the, a little bit differently in that while we, yes, we do have leeway because people do not understand what it is that we do or how platforms work. It is also a little bit more along the lines is that I feel like the average Mac admin has been, you know, crafting their career with, a, you know, a, a sharp knife, a dark alley and as little supervision as possible in terms of like actually delivering a good product because, we have to. I feel like there's a lot fewer resources for Mac admins than there are for the PC counterparts. And so essentially we've had to invent our own skills and invent our own you know, delivery platforms and invent our own tools. Mm. And in a lot of those cases, it's because we can. And I, I, I don't mean to cast aspersions upon PCIT folks, but I find that the folks that manage Macs for a living have a lot more imagination about what can be possible and the likelihood that you're going to get to a yes um, instead of just easily saying no because you've got a thousand more tickets that you have to deal with. And to add on to that, I think that we're more craftsmanish, craftswomanish in, in the delivery of our our skill set. We care immensely about how end users interact to the point where we're willing to spend sometimes days to suppress a dialogue box. So that when Mm, we push mm. a product like a a Microsoft Office or an Adobe app to a Mac, 
it's not prompting the user 15 times, but just the minimum, bare minimum amount. And when they open the box, you know, there's this step one, step two, there is no step three type of manifesto that we all seem to have of just a great user experience. I remember one of our original co-hosts, Emily, she gave a talk at, at a Mac conference a long time ago on Normandors and just this ideation around trying to provide the best user experience where it's just obvious what the person is supposed to do. So with all that care and feeding and this maniacal, going back to almost Steve Jobs with insanely great type of type mm. of uh, approach to IT delivery, I feel like we become this rebel alliance. And so our podcast becomes this pirate radio for the nerds inside the circle of nerds, inside the circle of nerds, if that makes sense. I think going back to that craftsman-ish side of things, I would say that from the from the Mac side of things and deploying technology into organizations, I think there's also a, a far greater amount of open source software that we as Mac admins take advantage of and use. And I think it, about, it comes back to the types of people that most of us are in that we want to give back to the community. So we might use a tool like Jamf. If you're probably, you, the people who are listening, you're probably going to hear us throw out words like Jamf and think, what the hell is that? It's a management tool that we, one of the major management tools that can be used to manage Macs and iOS devices in an organization. And that's a paid tool, but it's often augmented with a whole bunch of open source software. So you'll be putting that into an organization, but then you'll go out and you'll see somewhere where you can improve. So you might write a, an app or a series of scripts and open source that and then use that and other people will use that and build on it. It just comes back to that idea of community hmm. that really makes all of our work so much better. Yeah, I'm trying to expand this idea to be more universal for people out there who might be thinking about starting a podcast for their own specific, very niche, very tiny little market. And I want, I want to understand kind of how it works for you. And I, I do think a lot of what you have said is one of the reasons why I, I believe this show is successful and why the Mac admin community in itself is so friendly and sharing is that, yeah, I go to a conference for IT professionals and it's wall-to-wall nerds and that's what I expect. You go to a Mac admin conference, the exact same setup, and you speak to someone, hey, how did you become a Mac admin? And they're like, oh, I was a graphic designer, but I was the best person on computers. Oh, I was a video editor. I was a musician. I was So everyone always comes with this like history of like understanding the tools and understanding the fr- frustrations. I think that is different. I think that's that's what makes us unique. But I, I want to go a little bit beyond that. Stop talking about Max for a second and talk about just the idea that you've become a kind of the pirate radio for the community. What would be some tips you would give to people just in terms of figuring out who are the best voices, who are the best people to be on the show? Yeah. If you were, say, a bunch of plumbers who wanted to make a show that was specifically about the plumbing or you know, whatever. <laughs> so... I would say one of the reasons that I approached Tom specifically, uh, A, he's really good at his craft. So that's a given with, I think, all of the co-hosts with the exception of me on the podcast. But I, I would say he had done some work with the local baseball team, sports ball, yay. Yay, sports ball. <laughs> in, in Washington. So that's why I approached Tom specifically out of all the Mac admins. There, there are a lot of people who are really good at their craft, but 
I was looking for someone because I had never done any voiceover, any podcasty type of work. And now I've got three, but in those early days, I wanted someone who could could kind of approach that. And I was happy to take the task of of booking a lot of the guests and writing a lot of the scripts. But I, I felt like we needed someone who could do that. Tom ended up being way more than that because he's basically the producer of the podcast. He he gets all the little bits tied together that go on behind the scenes that no one would ever really think of. So I think of it more as his podcast at this point than than mine, you know. But one more thing, as far as uh, market sizing, like, do you have a, an addressable market that's big enough to listen to a podcast? There is a large, thriving Mac admin Slack channel. And I feel like I, I'm parts of Slack channels for UX and UX research and, and very niche markets elsewhere. And I feel like whenever there's a, a 5, 10, 20,000 person Slack channel somewhere that represents a, a cohort that there you have an addressable market. You also have an easy way to talk to that market. So, you know, getting stuff out there, but I'll turn it over to Tom now. Yeah, there is absolutely, you know, some good options that are available, you know, for any market. And, you know, I look at all of the different fandom pod podcasts that I see out there right now. And, you know, I see, you know, I, I, I found, I, I got sucked back into World of Warcraft this year. Good for you. And I relapsed pretty hard. It was you know, kind of embarrassing, but, you know, we're all getting through it together. But I found that I was surprised there were like eight or 10 different really good podcasts focused at people who play the game different ways. And I was shocked. I was like, holy crap, this is great. But then I think about how many people play WoW, and it's probably in the millions. So sure, why not? That makes sense. <laughs> but, you know, I've also started to look around at, at different communities. As long as there's, I'd say, if as long as there's, you know, a, a four or five digit number of people that you can think of who are involved. Doesn't mean they have to be passionate about it. Doesn't mean that you have to, you know, any of those things that you can find a voice and find an audience in that space. If you've got something to say and you can speak eloquently and you can, you know, find interesting people to talk to. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, when, when it's the three or four or five of us good, just going together for an episode, we can go for a good long time, but I don't always feel like we get as much out of those episodes as we do out of the ones where we talk with someone else. And, you know, finding the people out there in your field that, you know, have interesting stories and everybody's got good stories. Don't think that it's only the people at the very top of the echelon that have really great stories because that's hardly true. And a lot of people have been overlooked due to, you know, systemic issues or they've been, you know, overlooked because of bias issues. Those people have incredible stories. And great voices. And great voices that you that, that we need to highlight more of. Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel like in a lot of ways, it's all about telling the story of the profession, of the uh, you know, affinity group, of the, you know, whatever's tying you together, whether that's you know, stuff that you do, stuff that you read, stuff that you learn, those are, you know, there, there, there are ties that bind there. And, and that's where you build community. Yeah. And I, I would say the community kind of came together. Like Marcus, as an example, jumped in because Tom had put something out on Twitter. And so we all kind of know, knew each other already. I'd met Marcus before, I think. And uh, we met in Reno, maybe. 
Sweden. Uh, uh, Sweden, yeah. Go to Perth. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, we, we kind of knew each other, but having people who are willing to take a component, whether that's co-hosting or like James, you know, with the editing, these things don't kind of happen on their own. And it was a solid, what, year, year and a half before we sold a single sponsorship. So it was oh, definitely yeah. I think a it was labor. longer than that. And I mean, we'd, it, we'd, we'd probably still be doing it if, sure. without sponsors. You know, that, that's just we, we never icing. went looking for sponsorship as well. It was, it was kind of a yeah. bit of a surprise where all of a sudden people started asking us about sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And, and then it was a real moment where it's like, oh, okay, yeah. are, are, we, are we going to do this or, or not? And same thing for me. Like it wasn't even in my mind because I was talking to Marcus and this is, I think we're about 25, 26 episodes in. And I was speaking to Mark saying, hey, if you ever need any help on the podcast, let me know. I've edited them in the past. And it just so happened to be at the same time that the previous person who was editing decided that they didn't want to do it anymore. So I'm like, cool, this is great. Never once thinking about, hey, we're actually going to make any sort of money out of this. It was more so because I love what I do and we all love what we do. So I wanted to help contribute. And I think that because of that, that's what then brought other people in to go, cool, can can I come and talk on the podcast? Can I be a guest? Can I come and pay you money to advertise our products? And going back to what Charles said earlier, because of the because of how passionate we are and, and the the group that we specifically target to, those advertisers come to us because the people who listen to us are the people who make decisions about about this stuff. So then it makes it a quite easy conversation to have. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons when when I was listening to the show, one of the things that I really responded to was when you are a Mac admin, especially in a very large organization, you tend to be like the one Mac admin in the village, you know, like that you've got no other people to bounce your, your theories and ideas off. And so, so that's why you end up leaning so heavily towards the community listening to the community you know we you've mentioned the slack before i used to start every morning on the on the mac admin slack and just seeing what people were were finding and what what would be my headache for the upcoming week and things like that and i guess you know you you're also in a very lucky position where your main vendor apple tells you nothing about what's coming up and changes the rule book every couple of months so that the show <laughs> remains fresh yeah. <laughs> True. I, I, I would joke that we have a common enemy all Mac admins do. Um, and that really is chaos, but sometimes the chaos has six colors. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like that does help in terms of building community because, yeah, again, the script changes constantly. We never know what we're going to face until we're facing it. And it may not work the same way when it's announced as when it's delivered. So uh, it, there is, a, there is, a, there is a, a real need to stay current on these kind of things. The half-life of information is something that, you know, keeps coming up amongst the, the, the lot of us um, in the community and the half-life of information in, in the Mac admins environment. And that really just means how long it takes a piece of information to come into existence, be required to be known and then be forgotten. And be required to be forgotten. <laughs> well, and yes, then be for- required to be forgotten is much shorter than it was when I started in the field 20 years ago. So sometimes so, we have we have the challenge where we generally we record on a Sunday night US Monday morning Australia and then James gets a week to get everything together edit it wait for feedback from the guests to see if there's anything they want scrubbed out and then release it 
And sometimes the episode comes out and you're thinking, those things I said last week are now obsolete. (laughs) Obsolete, no longer current. That happened with the episode yesterday. You were talking about one of the betas. And then (laughs) in the time that we recorded and it came out, Apple released the new version of it and things have changed. I like to think it was because of me, but, you know. Of course. (laughs) I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The, the, the other thing that's been uh, been really awesome for us as the host of the podcast to hear, every guest that we get in, we start with an origin story. As you mentioned at the start of it, we all kind of accidentally end up in this field. There are some people who decide from a very early age or that this is what they want to do. The rest of us just kind of end up here. So we, we have an origin story from all of our guests to hear their stories. And that's been been a really amazing and powerful tool to let people know that it's okay to not really know what you're doing and work it out along the way. And some of the people who may appear from their community and social media profile to have everything completely under control and have left school early and gone straight into computer science and got a PhD in computer science and everything like this. And then you discover it that they used to work in a puppet theatre and were spray painting <laughs> things in the back of alleyways and that gave mm-hmm. them the skills and the mindset to do this amazing work. And, and Alistair is a great guest. He is. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, you know, and that's just one of the stories. You know, so many, so many others we get along the way. Somebody who, you know, signed up for the wrong course and ended up doing an IT course rather than how to use spreadsheets and things like that. There's Mm -hmm. really amazing um, ways that people got into things and stories and even things that are just completely unrelated to, to IT. And I also think that's why the community is so strong because on one hand, we could say there is no rule book or instruction manual on how to do this, except for the fact that Charles wrote some of them, but we're all having to write it together. And yeah. realizing, like when when I started out in this career, it was buying books that Charles had written, or another guest we have on um, quite regularly, Eric Dreyer, and to mm. go from mm. buying these books and reading them to being able to have conversations and to to be a friend and a colleague of these people really breaks down the the walls that we'll often put up ourselves in a community where there will be a group of people that are perceived to be elevated and then the rest of the minions around that are sitting there listening and consuming information rather than participating and joining in. So for us to be able to create something where we can get all of these people who may not feel that they have a worthy voice and to show what they've been doing and to give them a, uh, an audience and encourage them, it, you know, it gives me a great feeling. Yeah. And also means I don't have to then go and 
create tools <laughs> and show other people how to, yeah. how to use it because nobody I, wants that. I, I would say if we wanted to talk to other podcasters and, and try to parlay what we've learned in that regard, it would be that every episode we write a story arc before the episode. And that's just really a list of 10 to 15 questions. And those questions kind of define how the trajectory of how the conversation is going to go. And as we go, it's a Google Doc. It's really straightforward. Peter, you've seen it because you've been mm -hmm. on the podcast. Mm -hmm. But as we go, we may reorder the questions because someone may answer a question earlier or it may just make more sense in the thread of the conversation for that question to go earlier. So you know, it's easy to have these long meandering conversations. And I think interpersonally, like if you and I were sitting out, it would seem really forced if I had a, a document that we were following just as a conversation while we're having wine or something, right? But as a storytelling mechanism, it helps us and it's not something as trite as the hero's journey or anything. It's Let's start with, if you've never been on the podcast, here's your origin story, you know, Batman year one type of thing. And then as we dig into the depth of the, of the subject matter, what we're really getting at is now let's teach you something. And in our experience, I would say most listeners are only going to come away with one thing per episode. Mm -hmm. So that, that doesn't leave, even if it's an hour, it just doesn't leave that much room to try to add more than 10 or 15 questions, you know, and everyone's based on their experience going to come away with something different perhaps from the episode. But we, we definitely have this eye on, and you can sometimes see it in the title or sometimes we're just trying to be cheeky with the title, but you can see what we're getting at with that one little thing. And then hopefully they can take that with them throughout the week or the month and learn something. And I, I think trying to teach is definitely a component of a professional podcast, whether it's HRIS or UX, you mentioned earlier, or Mac admins, you know? Yeah. On that, specifically on the technical side of things, of actually creating this stuff and, and, and bringing it out to people, for anyone who's listening who is actually making a podcast, audio is incredibly forgiving in terms of reordering and chopping and changing. You're not dealing with video where someone's watching and can actually see when you're cutting stuff. If you find that you've got a list of questions and you do just go through them um, one by one and, and are discussing this, but then you, as you're listening back and you're cutting this episode, if you feel, hey, actually, this might have been better earlier on in the piece and would have followed really well after this particular response, don't be afraid to chop and change and, and move stuff around. Because audio, if you do it well, people aren't going to know. They're just going to hear it cut from one question to the next question, and it's going to be fine. And if that creates a better story arc for that particular episode, great, do it. Yeah, I, I would add to that and say... James does a really good job. We we frequently say sorry, James, in the podcast, which is kind of a mnemonic for <laughs> you're going to have some editing to do here. But there are times like I feel like I've been speaking too much and I will just at the end of a question or at the end of an answer for a question, I'll just raise an eyebrow and wait. And that uncomfortable silence 
is fine because James is going to fix it in post, you know? <laughs> it's all right. Um, James can fix everything in post. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's really good at that. <laughs> he yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I, I cut one of my other podcasts myself and I sometimes wish I'd have just hired James to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the other great thing about using the Google doc as the run sheet is that rather than being a PDF where it's static text, once it's been created, it's not moving. Because we can move the Google Doc around live, we, we can even do things. Like, and it took, us, it took us a while to actually arrive at this where we will highlight questions. So you can say, all right, Tom's going to answer the next question. And you can, we can sort of look at questions and go, okay, I've got, I've got a couple of interesting angles on this. So I'm going to highlight that one three down. And that way we can make sure that we're, we're trying to, you know, spread the load out, um, mm-hmm. ask a question where we, we actually, you know, might know a little bit about it. So we can go into a little bit of, bit of detail, but we also end up moving things around because the trajectory that we thought at the start of the episode may take on a very different life as as we get through there some of the feedback from the guests as well about having that live doc has been great where someone's thinking the only time i've ever really done public speaking is giving a presentation in front of a group of people where you've got a slide deck and it's all static and you need to know what you're going to do and you're going to need to rehearse and then we share the run sheet with them and start putting some questions in and then they start adding some things in and some the feedback from uh, some of the guests is Oh, I was really worried about what questions you were going to ask me. They've got time to think about an answer, yeah. work out, you know, what they want to do, hopefully not get too many surprises by us, you know, dropping a question in the middle of it that they weren't prepared yeah. for or didn't know the mm-hmm. answer to. Your job as a host is to be a host. If you're hosting a party and you, you know, don't put on the invitation black tie optional or evening dress required, and you just say, oh, just show up. It'll be fine. And then you show up in jeans and everyone's looking at you funny. You've done a really bad job as a host. I miss parties. Oh, my God. I miss parties so much. (laughs) I understand you guys get to have them down there. Yeah, we get to have them now. That's one key, I think, to the success of your dynamic is to have two Americans who never shut up and then a couple of Australians who can puncture that, <laughs> that American exceptionalism along the way. That really helps. I, I don't, I don't know, think I either say- of us have any illusions about um, American exceptionalism. No. Here, <laughs> <laughs> the last four years have disabused pretty much everyone of that notion, except for some people inside here who've really drunk the Kool-Aid. So, but, but I, I do, no, no, seriously, but I do appreciate how much effort you put into making the guests feel welcome and, and, and that it's part of their show. Uh, I, I know you, you also have uh, really, some really great documentation on how your guests can sound as good as you. Oh, Tom killed it with that, mostly. I, I got the idea from Aline Sims. She was hosting a pod, a pod on the, uh, um, the Incomparable Network at the time. She was like, yeah, I got tired of explaining this to everybody. So I just wrote a really good document. I was like, well, that's what I should do. I should write one of those. And so I asked her, I said, Aline, can I take, is that something you just share with anybody? And she said, well, let me take out some of the specific bits. And she shared me some of the language and I saw what she was going for. And I was like, all right, I can go with this. And yeah, uh, Aline did a, did a, a a real favor to the whole universe by starting that trend. And 
you know, we just send it out to everybody and just say, here's our recording guide. You know, it's public on our website. You can go out to podcast.macadmins.org slash recording and see what, see what I'm talking about. Um, but it's a great way to, you know, make everybody comfortable because you want to set, you want to, you want them to open up. You want them to think they sound good. You want them when they do, especially when they sound good. They're all awesome. It's, we're just trying to make them sound as awesome as they are. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's a big part of it is that we're here to be boosters for this community and we're here to make you sound good. We're here to make you succeed. And if that's not, I mean, I, I, yeah, you got to come in like that. You gotta, you, you gotta be prepared. And there's been a whole scandal in the States that the, the, the press secretary of the United States had requested that people submit their questions ahead of time, you know, so that she could provide them really good answers. But I, I don't understand this aversion to competence. And so, you know, giving your guests the tools that they need to sound great is totally how you do it. I, I also don't think we would have made it to 200 episodes if it was just the the three, four, five of us that are sort of the core group of hosts as well. We would have run out of, well, I, I'm pretty sure people would have run out of reasons to listen to us before we ran out of things to say. But the, the fact that people are still listening, I, I feel, is because of the the diversity of ideas and opinions that we get on rather than anything we've got to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say that diversity piece, anyone doing a podcast, that is an important aspect. Anytime we book a guest, anytime we go, we're in a very white male field. And anytime we have more than five, four or five white male guests in a row, I start kind of get my spidey sense tingles and I'm like, yep. we need more diversity. And you don't want that to feel forced. You don't want anyone to feel like they're there because they're not white male, you know, um, or cisgendered white male even. But it, like you, we want to be portraying a diverse cadre of voices. And sometimes that is people who focused on on managing IT for the disabled, or sometimes that is race, gender, et cetera. But that that diversity of ideas, I think, is is something that we definitely take very personally. And we're lucky to have had some early co-hosts and or guests that kind of pointed that out to us because I was too stupid to know about that kind of thing, to be perfectly honest. It's, you know, my... Mm. Yeah. Tell me some of the some of the more interesting stories that you have discovered over over the last uh, two years. I would say what what is it? No, it must be more than that if it's two hundred episodes coming up on five. Yeah. Holy, yeah, and, I know, right? Um, and what started as a labor of love became a labor labor of love and beer money. But I mean, you know, we're yeah. still going. And <laughs> I, I think my favorite story was Tim Perfett on the yes. podcast. Tim was a um, Tim Tim worked at Apple for a long time as a consulting engineer and then kind of came out into the public market as a consultant and software vendor and Tim's a delightful person and he tells great stories but the story that kind of like brought the whole show to a screeching halt was when he told us about his engineering school in Iowa where he was required to take an agriculture class and you know, went into depth and I will have to find the audio link for you because we will want this in the show notes about the best ways to slaughter chickens. <laughs> and it was, I thought this was when he was in new Caledonia um, rather than Iowa. Oh, and, was it? Cause I remember because I wasn't 
on this episode. And so every now and then, if I've been busy and haven't been able to record an episode, I get to listen to it in the car like a muggle. And so I'm driving along listening to this great story about Tim Perfect and sort of where he came from, the reason his business is called Two Canoes. And he's talking about one of the things he learned was how, the, as Tom was saying, the best way to slaughter a chicken, which is, Tom... And so I uh, taught math and science and actually small motor repair, which is actually pretty, pretty sweet. So, and I learned how to kill a chicken in three different ways. So if you ever, ever in need of that. With, with kindness, with bad jokes. What was it? What's the third one? Just just an ax. The, the, the best one was to pull its own feather out and stick it up its nose and immediately, immediately pierces the brain and dies. So, wow. Yeah. That's, okay. That's a good one. I, I I didn't realize Hannibal Lecter was part of this process. <laughs> Got it. Forget I asked. Yes. Yes. So. <laughs> How about that local sports franchise? Uh. <laughs> Wow! Next time, next time I go on the Survivor, I know how I can how can I freak out all my teammates immediately. <laughs> Who has a feather? Get ready for this. And talking about a screeching halt, I very nearly had a multi-car accident when I heard that, which involved me <laughs> mounting the footpath. And so, be careful when you're podcasting because. Yeah, people may be driving um, <laughs> while they're listening to this. Yeah, James, can you throw a content warning in this one? Yeah. And by the way, I, I have uh, uh, I have adopted that that workflow of saying sorry, James, uh, whenever <laughs> whenever I've gone on a tangent. <laughs> He's going to leave that in now. Yes. yes. <laughs> Actually, one that James hasn't listened to yet is full of cut that, James, cut that, <laughs> where I tell tales out of school. But yeah. yes, I, I think that that is actually also uh, one thing I would absolutely recommend to the indies out there is find someone who can edit your show and yes. and is not someone whose voice is on the show so that, they, that there is a, a level of removal there that they're not going to be so so precious about certain ideas. They're, they're hearing it fresh for the first time and being able to cut it. Uh, what, what have been some of the fun moments for you, James, over the, over the last couple of years that you've been involved? I think for me, it's probably the biggest thing that I enjoy is listening to these stories for the first time and being able to make them more listenable. For most people, when you're recording a podcast, generally, and COVID aside, you're not recording in the same room because who really does that with podcasts unless you're coming from a traditional radio type world where you're taking a radio show and putting it into as a podcast format, you are sitting on Zoom or Google Hangouts or a phone call or whatever, and you're recording on both ends or even just recording from one central end and cutting it together. So being able to take that and and take all the complexities that come from recording over the internet, where you have people speaking over one another and kind of cuts in and out, and, and kind of reordering and, and massaging that content. So it actually sounds like a coherent discussion where people are in the same room. They can take those social cues about when to ask questions and when not to and and taking delay out of that. And then also just listening to those sorry Jameses and those, <laughs> those funny jokes and anecdotes which might get pulled out of the show. But then if there's been a really, really funny part, I'll just throw it right at the start 
and it just sets the tone for the episode or grabbing some outtakes. I know with the last episode of Meta that I cut, at the very end, after Pete had finished having all of his questions for the host, they had a great discussion about where to find a good childcare centre that had was well padded, it was kind of locked in <laughs> so you could throw your kid in there and it had good Wi-Fi. And that oh. little discussion was too good to cut from the episode because it was a good bit of, you know, it was a good bit of banter. And, you know, that's what these people are as well. They're also dads. So then grabbing that content and shoving it at the very end of the podcast after the outro music as just a little bit of a more personality into the show because it's one thing that I've told Pete for ages very early on in his initial couple of episodes of the pod he was trying to remove himself as much as possible and just let it be about that person but I think it's also about you as a host and having your personality in there because ultimately you know I know for me personally I will follow people and listen to their shows regardless of what they're talking about and go from show to show because I actually genuinely like that person. And so that's why I'm listening. It's not only for the content, it's also for the people who are producing it and who are creating it. So to be a part of that is also rewarding as well. What, what about the other side of editing uh, where it's about taking things out? So one that, one that springs to mind is Erin Merchant, who's a fantastic human being, great storyteller, has had you know a really interesting background of different roles, but also has a ridiculous potty mouth, um, <laughs> which was really really hard to try and maintain. Our what 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 rating are we? I think we're we a G rating. We're trying to make so, because there's going to be some kind of restrictions. So um, well, you had a lot of work is, to do on that episode, didn't you, James? I think uh, specifically for Apple Podcasts. Yes, you can check a box that says it's an explicit podcast, but there's no real moderation or checking. It's more about a self-disclosure. Yeah. You can just mark your episode as clean in inverted commas, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you could throw a whole bunch of swear words in there. It, it's still going to be technically marked as clean because people aren't listening to these podcasts before they go up. It's just mm. the Apple podcast is a directory and it subscribes to your RSS feed, and that's just what happens. You post a new episode and it goes live. Just think about your audience. In our mm-hmm. case, it's it doesn't really matter. If, if there's a, a few swear words here and there, you know, it's just a bit of colour. And obviously having two Americans and right now two Aussies, it can get fairly colourful, especially from, from our side of things. <laughs> I um, never curse on it. No, I know. That, and that's what I'm saying is... <laughs> Americans are very, I don't know, precious. The fact that you call it curse shows that you're not really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> whereas Sorry for Australians, no, but whereas for Australians, it, it's not a work day unless you drop a few f bombs throughout the day because Erin would fit in so easily here. Oh, wouldn't she? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my roundabout saying of just target to your audience. If you yeah. think that it's a more family friendly oriented. Thing. If you're creating podcasts for kids or for the whole family to listen to, obviously, yes, cut around that stuff, throw in a beep sound or just mm-hmm. it's audio. So you can actually cut it out if you mm. can find a way to cut around that piece of audio. If you can't find a way to actually cut that section out without kind of mangling the words, throw 
a sound effect, throw a kind of a tone over it, uh, the classic beep sound. It's it just it's really dependent on who you're targeting towards. For podcasters out there, my my advice would be um, go like look at how NPR and and those kind of bigger ones do it. They're generally all of their episodes are always marked as clean. But if there is a particularly sweary guest on that day or whatever, they're, they're speaking about certain things that will will naturally uh, bring that language, they will say at the start, this might be not suitable to listen with your kids in the car. And that yep. seems to be as good as they need to do. No one ever gets pinged for that. And I, I generally try to to limit to like three swear words an hour is, is what I'll let through <laughs> to the keeper. Um, and anything more than that... A beep is always funnier. Like, yeah. if you, oh, you know, South especially Park if you pick the right sound. Like, I feel like yeah, in yeah. a lot of cases, you know, the old Sosumi beep sound, which James is going to put right here, is a really great cover for an Apple podcast. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, because there's the, that, that's a that's a piece of, uh, you know, uh, graphic or auditory language that, you know, the the, the old folks or the, the folks with longevity are going to find acute as a mm. as a piece. But I mean, if you really wanted to put, you know, something like the, you know, the Apple startup chime instead, which James is going to put right here. Is you know certainly really really helpful, and the the other thing that you could do is that for perhaps you know you could you know intersperse like Whitney Houston singing the uh, you know and I will always oh. love you and just kind of let that all go, you know at least thirty one seconds so that you're past the safe harbor rules. Nope, nope, and, nope. And, that's not a number. That's not a number. <laughs> oh, it's not. A, oh, it's a percentage. Nope. No, it's not a percentage. It is whether the court feels according to the country, <laughs> that it has exceeded the amount that it is unmistakable what it is. And how do you know so, this, Charles? Have you, have, have you run, well, on, run foul yeah, for of... The, for the History Podcast, I've done a bunch of research on this because there's a lot of historical clips of computing sounds. So, yeah, I, I, I have not run afoul, no, but I have researched it and... I paid my attorney to research it. On my <laughs> so, so that is le professional legal advice from a proper attorney in the United States. So take that for what it's Yeah. Worth. Attorneys in the U.S. always just say it depends. That's the answer. Yeah, that's that's when, I, when I was in law school, that was the, the answer to everything. It depends. Mm -hmm. Yes with an if, no with a but. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like it's a uh, – I feel like that's an answer for a Mac and Man. Can I do this? Well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> Well, is there that's anything else you guys job. wanted to say before we say goodbye to the good people at home? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I I think you are proudly niche, and that's how you say it, Charles. It's niche. It's not niche. I hate hearing niche. It's it's bizarre. <laughs> anyway, my gears so much. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you you are niche as hell. Thank you. So I don't expect this to to. Uh, expand beyond the, the audience, the core audience you have, but that is fine. You live in your space and you're serving that community well. Any final thoughts you'd, you'd have on finding what your niche is and and creating the show that will speak to them? Don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to expand your niche, your niche, niche. whichever <laughs> one of those goes. <laughs> Don't go so niche that you can't cover something you think might not fit. Like, be willing to stretch your own boundaries. I feel like that's the important thing. Just because you're niche doesn't mean the the the, the boundary is a you know an eight foot fence with razor wire. It's I'm sorry, that's two and a quarter meters. And you know, I mean, it's a big. It's not a big fence. So yeah, 
try it and see who listens is the is yeah. the other thing. You like we were surprised. We did this podcast and then like all, all of a sudden we started seeing lots of downloads and then it was like, okay, so did people subscribe to it? Like I've got 20 podcasts I subscribe to and I only really listened to a couple of them. And then people started asking us questions, especially when they're asking questions about things that were the end of an episode as well. It's like, wow, they, they're listening the whole way through. And it was really surprising, but also uh, re- incredibly rewarding to realise that there are other people out there who were interested in the same things we were interested in enough to actually commit yeah. to, you know, over an hour each week. And I think the other part of that is don't obsess over the numbers though. Yeah. And you can't go hunting at your, you know, at your podcast stats page and say, oh man, that episode only had, you know, X number of downloads that was smaller than the, than the other one. It must not have been a good episode. No, that's not true. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing and don't make snap judgments based on individual numbers. Um, look at trends, look at, you know, aggregates, look at, you know, other things, but the data is not always your friend. And if you're enjoying it and finding yeah. it rewarding, it doesn't really matter if That's right. only five people are listening to it. If if those five people are enjoying it and you're having fun, keep doing it. There's, there's a great story I saw about a, a guy in the UK that has his own radio station and the only person that listens to it is his wife down the end of the garden. And he just kept doing it again and again and again and people were laughing at it. It's like, they're both happy. Like, yeah. Great. Great. Keep going. Keep going, mate. That's awesome. I think my advice would be you can get into it using anything. You don't need to go out and buy expensive equipment. Honestly, if you want a good microphone to record, grab an iPhone or an Android phone. Let's just say iPhone because that's who we are. Stick it on a stack of books with the bottom of it facing your mouth. That will record great audio like that. You don't need expensive gear. Charles, any final thoughts? You know, the only thing I've learned is that I don't know crap. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't have any thoughts. Whatever makes you happy. Hopefully you laugh. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, that's a lovely spot to end it at. Thank you boys for for being on the show today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.